Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. Coming up, I'm going to talk to Rob Body from the Associated Press to get a look at what the Eagles have done so far this offseason and take a look at the weeks and months ahead and also get his thoughts on what some of the Eagles' top competition around the NFC has done here in the first couple weeks of free agency. And how much closer have the Eagles' main enemies inside the conference gotten to the Super Bowl runner-ups? So we'll talk about that coming up here in the next few minutes, and then we'll also get into some Lane Johnson contract extension talks, uh, the possibility of Ezekiel Elliott coming to Philadelphia, and is the tush-push going to stay in 2023. All that stuff coming up here on this edition of Eye on the Enemy. Just want to remind you to make sure you're reading BleedingGreenNation.com every day, where I have an article up every week. And of course, all the fine writers at the site are keeping you updated with all the links and the latest news and the rumors and the notes that you need to follow this football team during a very busy offseason. And also to check out all of the great podcasts we have for you here at the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed. Leave a five-star rating for this podcast, if you wouldn't mind. Let me know how you do it, how you think the show is going, and uh, any changes you want to see. Anything else, let me know on the Apple Podcasts reviews. I would uh, greatly appreciate hearing from you guys. All right, let's jump into this here, and um, we'll start off with some very good news. Lane Johnson agreeing to a one-year extension with the Eagles. It's a one-year $33.445 million extension, including $30 million guaranteed, according to Adam Schefter. He's now under contract through the 2026 season. He's 33 years old in May, so uh, let's see. If I'm doing the quick math in my head, that would make him 36 by the end of the 2026 season, but I don't think anybody thinks that that Lane Johnson is going to play that long uh, in a in a unit. And basically, what this does is it does lock in another year with Lane Johnson, but it spreads the cap number out over more future seasons. And we knew that the Eagles were going to do something with Lane Johnson's contract because in order to clear a little bit more cap space this year, they basically had three players that they could work with. They could work with Jake Elliott's contract, which they already did. They could work with Darius Slay's contract, which of course we know they already did. And Lane Johnson was the other one who was able to get an extension and give the team some cap relief here. So we knew something was going to happen. They had to lower his cap number of $24.2 million here in 2023. So the extension presumably drops his $14.2 million base salary uh, as he receives a signing bonus that will get spread out over multiple years for cap management purposes. Brandon Lee Gouton mentioning that in an article on BGN here on Friday morning. Jeff McLean notes that over the next two years of Johnson's contract, now they are guaranteed and the Eagles will save almost $10 million against the cap in 2023. That's according to an NFL source. Now, the great thing, and I use great in air quotes about NFL's uh, payment structure, the way they do salaries and, and, and salary cap and all that, is that you need a league source to tell you what this means because it's not obvious. It's not clear. And, and the way they spread money out over multiple seasons, you can't look at an extension and know right away how the Eagles, what the Eagles are looking at in terms of, of, of available cap space. And that's why it's hard for us to know whether they made the right decision with CJGJ whether, and, and to know how much more money they have left to play with here with free agents during the course of the offseason. You have to allocate some of that cap money to the draft picks that you're going to make here in 2023, coming up next month in the NFL draft. And there's some other things that are that are that you have to take into consideration that we have no idea about. So 
the cap situation, you have to rely on the insiders to kind of let you know where things are going here with in terms of cap space because it's because it's such a confusing structure. And I understand that if you really poured some man hours into it, maybe you could you could sleuth it out yourself. But um, it's just it's it's complicated and it's convoluted. But at the end of the day, uh, the Eagles are getting maybe the best offensive tackle in football and keeping him for at least another season, not going anywhere. Lane Johnson going to continue to anchor down the right side of the offensive line. Uh, He did not give up a sack in the last two seasons. And I think we have kind of forgotten about Lane Johnson played the end of the season and the playoffs, including the Super Bowl, on a torn abductor. A torn abductor. The man was playing basically on a, a torn core muscle that would literally have forced any of us onto the couch for two months. He's playing, he's and he's playing against the New York Giants and the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs on this torn muscle, and it didn't look like he missed a beat. I don't know what they had to do to him in order to get him to play and to play that effectively on that muscle, but my goodness. It was heroic what Lane Johnson did in the playoffs. If there's anybody you're going to hit your wagon to, and if there's anybody at age 33 you feel comfortable giving more money to and more years to, it's Lane Johnson, who is still the most effective offensive tackle. He might be the best offensive lineman in football. Now, that's a longer conversation, obviously. But he certainly is the best tackle in football. And I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any question about it. You know how good this team is when he's in there, and you know how much this team has struggled when he has not been in the starting lineup. Over the years, when Lane Johnson has not been in the starting lineup, lining up at right tackle, keeping Nick the Nick Boses of the world off of his quarterback's face, the Eagles struggle. They don't win. The offense is not nearly as cohesive and consistent. Lane Johnson is, is such a huge part of what this team does and an enormous part of their success that it's hard to quantify. The Eagles are doing their best to quantify it with a one-year $33.5 million extension, $30 million guaranteed for a guy who turns 33. Normally, you want to pump the brakes on something like that, but not in this case. And the Eagles needed to do that in order to clear up cap space here in 2023, so we knew something was coming. But I, I think we need to keep reminding ourselves what Lane Johnson did at the end of last season, in the playoffs and then in the Super Bowl, playing at the level at which he played with a... The fact that he was playing at all with a torn abductor was ridiculous. But to play as well as he did, where we weren't even talking about it, we weren't even thinking about it. When he was on the field, it wasn't even a question or a concern. It's just incredible. Just an, just an incredible season from Lane Johnson and what he did, the toughness that he, that he displayed and the heroic nature with which he got out on that field and wanted to be there for his teammates and make another run for the Super Bowl. It's a shame, just such a shame, they weren't able to pull that game out against Kansas City and reward all that effort with another Lombardi trophy. But the fact that they got there and got as close as they did and the offense played as well as they did, can't ask for anything more from Lane Johnson. And so now he is rewarded uh, with a one-year 33-point, let's just call it $33.5 million contract extension. I'm not taking it out into the you know, the .445. That's just silly. Come on, we're not doing that. All right, one of the other big pieces of news that came down late this week was that Ezekiel Elliott, apparently wants to come play for the Eagles. Uh, the Eagles among three teams uh, that uh, the former Cow- the longtime Cowboys running back says that uh, he wants to sign with. Uh, now, of course, 
that doesn't mean that the Eagles want him. And given the fact they already have Rashad Penny and Kenny Gainwell and Boston Scott, none of those guys are superstars, right? I get that. None of those guys are going to be, none of those guys are irreplaceable. I don't really see a role for a washed up aging running back on this team. The Eagles move, the Eagles are like, I know they just got Lane Johnson, but Lane Johnson means re-signed Lane Johnson to an extension, but, and they, they, you know, they brought back Fletcher Cox and and Brandon Graham. I I get that, but those guys are legacy players and they're still very productive players. Fletcher Cox, not as much as Graham, but you know, still, still a somewhat productive player. There's an, there's an argument to be made for Fletcher Cox to be on this team next year for $10 million. I think that's a lot. Nevertheless, there's an argument to be made. I just don't see the argument to make for Ezekiel Elliott because I think what you're going to see is the Eagles get a running back at some point in the draft. Maybe they trade back. Maybe they use a second-round pick. I don't know that I would use a second-round pick, but they have. Howie Roseman used a second-round pick on Miles Sanders. They could very easily do that again. Uh, There's a lot of B. John Robinson talk. I wouldn't hate that. Honestly, I wouldn't hate that, especially if they traded down from 10 to like 13, 14, 15. I I I would do that. I'm not as against a first-round running back as a lot of people are, and I know a lot of I know the reasons for it. I, I do get it. Um, that being said, I don't see a path for Ezekiel Elliott here. I think you go with the three that you have because Rashad Penny, if he can stay healthy, is exceedingly productive. And Kenny Gainwell showed a lot at the end of last year. I think there's reason to be optimistic about him. I would rather take a chance on these upside guys, these younger upside guys, than an older downside guy. I don't care how much Ezekiel Elliott would cost. You don't need a guy that's only going to be effective inside the 10-yard line. Sure, Ezekiel Elliott, great. You know, hand him the ball and and you score your touchdowns. But Jalen Hurts does a lot of that dirty work for you. Maybe you want to scale that back a little bit. But, okay, Boston Scott's a decent goal line back. He finds the end zone. The Eagles, I don't think, are going to have issues with the three running backs that they have scoring touchdowns inside the red zone with that offensive line and with the deception that Jalen Hurts provides with the RPO game. You don't, need, you don't need Ezekiel Elliott to do that. And I think you go out and you draft a running back, you bring a fourth running back into the room from the draft this year. If it's Bijan, he probably gets a, a lot more run than Gainwell or Boston Scott in his first year. You know, maybe Rashad Penny. I know Rashad Penny's an injury risk. Okay, I get that, but that doesn't mean you go out and you sign Ezekiel Elliott to sit around. So, I mean, I just, it doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me doesn't make sense to me in the slightest to bring in Ezekiel Elliott. And I think Howie Roseman's on the same page. I don't think he's looking to bring in Ezekiel Elliott. This sounds like one of those type deals where Elliott's just flapping his gums, talking about, you know, where he wants to play, three teams that he wants to play with. I don't know if he's trying to put pressure on teams to, on to, whether he thinks like the fan base is going to pressure the teams into bringing him on board. I, I don't think there's a fan base out there that's hot for Ezekiel Elliott. That's going to get in their GM's ear on sports radio and say, yo, Ezekiel Elliott's available, man. Let's go. Let's go. Zeke. Nobody's doing that. Because everybody sees that Ezekiel Elliott is pretty much washed. I think Cowboys fans would laugh their rear ends off. Cowboys fans have been looking for Ezekiel Elliott to move on for a couple of years now. The Eagles are not a team that look backward. They're a team that, generally speaking, looks forward. At least they have over the last couple of years. I would argue that, you know, a few years ago, maybe Howie Roseman was starstruck by the 2017 guys and maybe made some deals he shouldn't have made, brought some guys back he shouldn't have. But I don't think you can look at what they've done the last couple years, especially with Nick Sirianni, and call this a backward-looking team. 
I think they have an idea of a direction they want to go in, and I think they're going in that direction. And I would rather have the young upside guys rather than the older downside guy. And so that's the long and short on Ezekiel Elliott. I think there is a 0% chance he is a Philadelphia Eagle next season. Last thing to get to before we get to Rob Motti here, the NFL has announced their final proposed rule changes for next week's annual meetings. Uh, This is from teams and from the competition committee. And of note... They do not include a rule that would prohibit the tush push, which is, of course, teammates pushing the ball carrier from behind. The play that the Eagles used over and over and over again with the quarterback sneak with Jalen Hurts to get so many third and fourth down and one conversions and goal line touchdowns used it ad nauseum because it just works. And you need to have a you need to have a certain kind of offensive line to make it work. You need to have a certain quarterback to make it work. But the Eagles have all those things in place. I know Sean Payton has said he's going to use that a ton with Russell Wilson next year. Great. Great. It's available for every team to use. And I don't care if it looks like a rugby play. I don't care if it's aesthetically pleasing or not. It is a football play. Men against men pushing against each other to gain one yard. Are your guys stronger than my guys? I think it's great. And because you can run other plays off of it. We saw the Eagles do that. Fake the tush push and pitch it out. And all of a sudden you got Kenny Gainwell running for 15 yards outside the uh, the right edge. So I, I, I love the play. And I guess I love it because my team's really good at it. <laughs> but it the, the tush push, it does not look like will be going away. Uh, it's not among the rules change proposals that will be discussed next week. Let me run down uh, some of the proposals that are out there. Some uh, proposals by the competition committee includes changing the definition of a launch by a defender to leave one or both feet. So if a defender, right now it's both feet. If you leave with both your feet into a ball carrier that's considering considered launching into the ball carrier, um, this would be changed to leaving with just one foot. Uh, the competition committee also wants to, uh, suggesting or offering up a rule that would make uh, the penalty for tripping a personal foul call. I think that's a good one. Uh, also, to make the penalty for illegally handing the ball forward consistent with other illegal acts, such as Ill- an illegal forward pass. Sounds fine to me. Make the penalty for illegal punts, drop kicks, or place kicks consistent with other illegal acts, such as illegal forward passes. Again, that's fine. Um, to put the ball in play at the receiving team's 25-yard line when a touchback occurs, from a punt. Now that rule already exists when a kickoff goes through the end zone on, which is considered a touchback, but a punt that goes through the end zone puts the ball at the 20 yard line. Now it would be at the 25 yard line. Um, it really would make it more important for punters to, to pin the ball uh, deep inside the, the 10 to avoid those, uh, to avoid touchbacks for that to occur. Um, the competition committee wants to prevent the offense from benefiting by an extension of the half as a result of their foul. Also to put the ball in play at the receiving team's 25 yard line. If there is a fair catch on a free kick, a kickoff and a safety kick behind the receiving team's 25 yard line that would basically, they're basically trying to prevent teams from uh, running the ball um, out of the end zone, or even if it's short of the end zone, like if they, if they want to, um, you know, take the ball at the five and want to fair catch it there at the five yard line, they would get the ball at the 25 rather than the ball being at the five yard line. Uh, and also to clarify the use of the helmet against an opponent by removing the butt ram spear language, and incorporating those actions into impermissible use of the helmet. Now, some rules changes being proposed by teams. The Eagles have two rules changes. Um, They want to allow players to use zero as a jersey numeral, as well as to allow kickers and punters to use any jersey number between zero to 49 and 90 to 99. 
some fun with jersey numbers. And the Eagles also want to amend a rule that would allow a team to maintain possession of the ball after a score by substituting one offensive play for an onside kick attempt. This is the rule the Eagles have been trying to get adapted for years. I don't know if this is a Howie Roseman thing or a Jeff Lurie thing, but this is a pet rule of theirs that they are really hot on. Instead of trying for an onside kick, they would like to have the offense essentially give themselves a 4th and 20 from their own 20-yard line instead of trying an onside kick. I think that they feel like the odds are maybe slightly better that you can convert a 4th and 20 from their own 20-yard line and then continue a drive after that in order to try and come back rather than try and get an onside kickoff attempt. So basically, it would make a two-score game at the end of a game a little a little less certain because receiving an onside kick, what? how, how often does that work? Like five times a year maybe, four times a year? Whereas how often would a 4th and 20 conversion work? You know, might not be a whole lot more than that, but I think it would be a little bit more than that. I would certainly rather take the 4th and 20 option than an onside kick option. You're in control of far more things. You know, recovering an onside kick is some luck, but it's the bouncing of the ball, the skill of the kicker. I mean, David Akers used to be really good at it, but there's not a lot of kickers who are good at it anymore, especially when the other team knows it's coming. When the other team knows an onside kick is coming, it's almost always recovered. 99.999% of the time recovered by the receiving team. In this case, I think the odds of converting a 4th and 20 from the kicking team's 20-yard line is more fun, and I think it would allow the offense more of an opportunity to continue to get a second drive going right after they scored that the, the first drive to, to draw them to within one score. So I, I, I like that rule change and I would like to see, I would like to see that go through a few others of note here. Uh, the chargers want to adjust the play clock following an instant replay reversal consistent with other timing rules. Uh, the lions have three rules. Uh, they want to expand the coaches challenge system to include personal fouls called on the field. I'm very much in favor of that one. They want to provide clubs more opportunities for a third challenge. I'm fine with that. And they want to expand the replay officials jurisdiction to allow for consultation regarding penalty assessment. Uh, The Houston Texans want to amend a rule that would expand the replay to allow for review of unfailed fourth down attempts. So instead of having a coach be the one to make that challenge, have it be the officials jurisdiction to review a failed fourth down attempt. The Rams have a rule change that would make fouls for roughing the passer called on the field subject to replay, assist, and or review by a coach's challenge, which, again, this would have come up again in the uh, Commanders game again with the Eagles on that Brandon Graham uh, 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 roughing roughing the quarterback, roughing the passer call, that they could have at least called for a challenge on that play. So I think that certainly... I mean that's going to be it's going to be tough to overturn roughing the passer calls but I think at least at least you you give yourself the option and you have the you have the official have to be on the record in in terms of whether or not that is a roughing the passer call and then one by the Jets that would expand the crackback prohibition to play, players who go in motion and go beyond the center to block a defender below the below the waist. So some of those more high profile than others but those are the rules changes that will be considered uh, next week at the annual uh, spring meeting, what do they call it? I don't know what they call it, owners meetings, whatever it is. Uh, with the next week's NFL meetings, those are the rules changes that will be discussed. All right, folks, coming up, we're going to talk to Rob Motti of the AP about the Eagles offseason thus far, and we'll take a look around the NFC as well. That's coming up next here on Eye on the Enemy. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. 
As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Well, it's amazing how much you can get done uh, when you really put your mind to it. And NFL teams, at least that were interested in adding free agents, really didn't waste any time uh, during the first work of free agency, getting most of the big names all locked up. And the Eagles, of course, chief among them, most of them their own guys, but a lot of movers and shakers around the NFL here during the first week of free agency, first week and a half now, two weeks. And joining me to talk a little bit about it and where things stand with the Eagles and uh, some of the other teams that will be their chief competition here in the NFC, the great Rob. Rob Motti from the Associated Press. Rob, thanks for coming back on Eye on the Enemy, man. How are you? Hey, great to be with you, John. I appreciate it, man. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, buddy. And obviously, the Eagles have made a bunch of moves, uh, re-signing a couple of guys. I didn't really think that they would, specifically James Bradbury, but then also Darius Slay, when it looked like he was on his way out of town, he came back. Um, the CJGJ con- uh, contract and how all that worked out was uh, a little bit mystifying. But just kind of taking in totality what the Eagles have done so far this offseason, what is your take on Howie Roseman's uh, first uh, first few weeks after the Super Bowl? Well, we knew it was going to be difficult with the uh, amount of free agents that they had to going into this period. So many starters, guys who contributed to that Super Bowl run. But I would say I'm pleasantly surprised because to keep James Bradbury, which I, like you mentioned, we, we didn't think that that was going to be possible. And you get him at a three-year, $38 million deal to bring back – Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox, and, and then to be able to, even after Darius Slay, big play Slay, announces his own release to bring him back. I, I thought that was tremendous by Howie Roseman. Now you're going to lose some guys, and, and they they lose a bunch of players that contributed, but it's it's something to where you know that going in, this is going to happen. How are they going to replenish? They're going to have to count on some of their young guys. They're going to have to count on some of those draft picks from last year. Nicobe Dean's going to have to step up at the linebacker position. We know that. Jordan Davis is going to have to step up and play like a guy that they drafted in the first round. You have a lot of assets still in the draft. And, John, I don't think they're going to stay put where they are at 10 and uh, 30. I think they're going to move around and accumulate more draft picks. But really what this offseason is going to be all about is Howie Roseman is going to have to figure out going forward after they pay Jalen Hurts what he's due, what the roster configuration is going to look like because he's going to get a lot of money. What's your take on what happened with the Gardner-Johnson situation, Rob? 
You know, that was really strange to see that his agency came out and and said this is what he was really offered. And I, I think here's a guy who thought he was going to be able to get more than the market was willing to give him. And he he bet on himself. I hate that term. We use it all the time. Oh, you bet on yourself and, and who wins and who doesn't when they do that. But he thought he was going to get that multi-year deal at an average of seven to eight million. And, and the, the market didn't bear it. And he ended up going to the Lions. And I, I don't I thought it was really strange to see how the agency put out that tweet saying that the Eagles structured a deal that was back end loaded. That was mm-hmm. kind of an odd contract offer. I, I'm not sure how realistic that was, but you know, it, it, you get to this point where things happen and they fall through and you have to save face with your client. So uh, I'm not saying that that didn't happen. I, I just don't know that the Eagles would make something that weird of an offer that uh, it's unlikely that that was made, but Hey, he's in Detroit. He, he got some, he's got another opportunity on mm. a prove it deal, right? Yeah. Now you go there, it's a one year deal, prove your worth and, and see if you can get that multi-year guaranteed dollars in, in, in the, in the 14, 15 or more range. And um, it's a loss for the Eagles, but I, I think they'll be able to offset it. Right. And, and like you mentioned, I think we got spoiled last off season by all of the, the experienced veterans that they brought in that weren't question marks. Anytime you're going to turn to a draft pick that doesn't really have a whole lot of uh, snaps under his belt, there's going to be that uncertainty. And that always makes people a little bit nervous. But um, at a couple of key positions, they're, they're also missing a few starters. I mean, I think they've, they've gone in and they've gotten some, some cheaper help at safety and linebacker. Um, but uh, those are two areas of need. I still think with the draft and, uh, with, you know, the latter stages, stages of free agency, I think we also have to remember teams are going to continue to drop people. Like we saw last year with Bradbury and CJ GJ, these guys became available much later in, in the off season. I, as far as the, the guys that they've brought in already, which one do you think has, uh, has a chance to, and let me ask you about the guys on the defensive side, because I think uh, we kind of have an idea, Rashad Penny, what he could be. But the, these defensive guys that, that they've brought in here over the last couple of weeks on these on these smaller deals, do you see any of them having any kind of an impact here in 2023? And if so, which one? I kind of like uh, Nicholas Morrow, the linebacker. He's got some speed. He had his best season last year. He had his best game of the season against the Eagles. And, and the Eagles have taken some shots over the past few years. They haven't always panned out with linebackers. Last year, they did have some success with Kaiser White. And I, I know the Bears upgraded by bringing in TJ Edwards from the Eagles. And and, and that was you look at that as dumping Morrow, but here's here's a guy that you could take a shot on who who had a nice season last year and and maybe surrounded by that defense with the front that they have with the secondary that they have maybe it allows him to step up and, and shine a little bit so he'd be the guy on the defensive side that I look at I, I know they bring in Greedy Williams and give him a chance to compete and, and be somebody who can get some snaps but uh, other than that for them defensively it was about break, retaining the guys that they did Cox, Graham, uh, Slay and Bradbury and and, th- and those were huge but they're going to certainly have to count on some of their some of their younger guys to step up and and they're not done like you said they're certainly not done we know howie roseman goes out and and he's willing to even bring in players you go back to the super bowl season when he brought in ronald darby in training camp so yeah. uh f- for him it's never the roster's never a finished product teams are going to let go of guys they're going to be post 
uh, June 1st cuts too as well, even though most of those have been announced. And, and, and there's still, still some ways to upgrade this team. Yeah, and you said they're going to probably draft uh, some additional players here with, as they move back with one of those picks in the first round and pick up a couple extra, maybe day two picks or something like that to to fill in the the gaps here. I mean, so as, as Howie Roseman is looking at this draft, they obviously have some holes on the team, but the general consensus here is this is a strong roster and you take the best player available. If the best player available is, is a running back at number 10 or number 12 (laughs) or number 13 or something like that, that's a big question. A lot of people are asking themselves, could you see a world in which Howie Roseman does that? Or when we say best player available, we're talking about the best player available at maybe one of four spots. You know, knowing the Eagles, right, and their draft history and how they value the trenches, I really think it's the best player available who plays on either side of the line, offensive Mm -hmm. or defensive. I I just can't imagine that this team would spend the draft capital in the first round on a running back. As, As crazy as that may sound, if you have the ability to take someone who could be a game changer, that's where they look to move down. And and for me, I, I think this is a team that's gonna and we know it. And that's been their that's been their MO and, and they've had success doing it. You upgrade in at, at the line positions and you can never have too much depth. And, and that's what eventually is going to you control the line of scrimmage and and that's how they were able to have that success last year. They had a dominant offensive line. They had a dominant defensive line up until the Super Bowl game itself. So I really think that's those those areas is where they target. Now they'll probably also look to bring in some secondary help, but I can't see that being day one. And and if so on day two, it might be more towards the the third round than the second. Now, as we look around the league and keep our eye on the Eagles' many enemies, because there's going to be a lot of teams gunning for them here, especially in the NFC, as they're going to try and leapfrog the Eagles and get into the Super Bowl. Uh, I think a couple of NFC teams have had strong off-seasons. I think the Lions have had a really strong off-season, and they finished the regular season last year very strong. Uh, The New Orleans Saints go ahead and they bring in Derek Carr at quarterback, and so I know their odds of... um, reaching the Super Bowl have gone up considerably because the the quarterback class in the NFC is pretty weak after Jalen Hurts, but you also have the Dallas Cowboys who have been making some moves. Any one team in particular stand out to you in terms of getting closer to the Eagles here in the first few weeks of the offseason? I think you got to start in the division and, and, and look at the Cowboys and look at the Giants because the Cowboys really did some things, John, to help themselves. Uh, I love the addition of Brandon Cooks at wide receiver. He's a guy who just puts up a 1,000 yards no matter where he goes. He's well-traveled. He's played with a bunch of teams, and everywhere he goes, he produces no matter who the quarterback is. So I, I think he's going to give them an opportunity to stretch the field. And and Stephon Gilmore is a former uh, AP NFL Defensive Player of the Year who had a, a strong second half last season. So I, I think – those are two big additions for the Cowboys. You, you look at what the Giants did, and uh, they gave Daniel Jones a contract that I thought was outrageous for someone of his caliber. But yeah. they really believe that a game manager is worth $40 million in, in a year and that they can win with him. But the Darren Waller trade – uh, and keeping Saquon Barkley, to me, are going to help Daniel Jones. If Darren Waller, and I spoke to him yesterday, if he's healthy, uh, he's a 90-catch, 100-catch, 1,100-yard guy at tight end, really gives Daniel Jones a primary target. I, I know they're, they're, they don't have 
upper echelon receivers, elite number ones, and Paris Campbell's a nice one-year deal, and Sterling Shepard's a nice. They still need that elite receiver. Whether they go out and get Odell Beckham Jr., that remains to be seen. But adding Waller really helps them. So you you look at those two teams in the division, and and you got to think they're going to be better. And then as you go around the NFC, the Carolina Panthers, to me, really – improved because they put themselves in a position where they got the first pick overall, but they go out and and they sign Miles Sanders. They bring in Adam Thielen. They bring in Hayden Hurst. And and Andy Dalton is going to be the bridge guy at quarterback. So they've put themselves in a position where they're going to have some weapons for that young QB and and Andy Dalton until he he turns it over to him. And they might just turn it right off the bat to Mm. C.J. Stroud or whoever they take number one overall. So I, I really like what they did. The Chicago Bears made, were smart in accumulating more draft picks and trading back out of that spot. You mentioned the Lions, and uh, this is a team that's on the rise. They really are. And, and the way they ended that season, knocking the Green Bay Packers out, and and I, I think is I, I spoke to Jared Goff at the Super Bowl talking about how can you carry that over? Is there any – it credence to that. Like you, you finish up strong, but then it's a long off season and you have all this time. Do you carry any of that? And he's like, yeah, I mean, we were so pumped up about knocking the Packers out and finishing on a high and being able to, to carry that in. And then you look at some of the moves. I like the Cam Sutton uh, deal. I like Emmanuel Mosley, who they brought in mm-hmm. at corner on a, on a one-year deal. And obviously CG, uh, uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, they bring him in and um, at running back David Montgomery, I, I think this is a playoff team. I think this might be the team next year uh, in the division, the team to beat in the NFC North. Not ready to commit to them yet, but I, I think they very well might be, especially with Aaron Rodgers leaving the Packers. And I think the Vikings are going into a little bit of a remodeling, not a full mm-hmm. remodeling build but a little remodel so the lions might be the team to come out of there a lot of people are high john on the 49ers i think a ton of folks think javon hargrave is going to give them exactly what they needed but he's a great pass rusher wasn't tremendous as a run stopper and they and they needed uh, someone who who can in the middle who yeah get after the quarterback but also stop the run he's not that guy so as much as uh, he he adds value to their depth and their defense, and he's an upgrade, he he may not help them in the areas that they needed. Well, the area they need is quarterback, and that was going to be my last question here for you. What what are they going to do at quarterback? It certainly seemed like they were ready to turn the keys over to Brock Purdy, but he won't be ready to start the season, it doesn't seem like. Trey Lance was hurt at the end of last year. I mean, it just seems kind of they have all these different pieces in place at the, it, with the exception of the one place you really need to have a sure thing, and they, they don't have it right now as far as I can tell. What are their plans at quarterback? Well, it's got to be Trey Lance at this point, right? You don't bring in Sam Darnold to be the starting quarterback of a team that you think is Super Bowl caliber, and they feel that they are Super Bowl caliber. Brock Purdy's elbow surgery uh, being delayed is going to keep him out an extended period of time, so he's not going to be ready to go. I I don't know if he's going to be able to play before October, so it's got to be Trey Lance, and he's really the unknown because he didn't play that much in college at North Dakota State, and, and he's been hurt and hasn't played at all, really, in the yeah. NFL. So unless unless you go out and find a way to convince a number 12 who recently retired to come <laughs> out and come home and play his final year at age 
45, 6 <laughs> for the San Francisco 49ers and try and win a third Super Bowl uh, or win a, an eighth Super Bowl with a third team, it's got to be Trey Lance until Brock Purdy gets healthy. And maybe by then, Trey Lance will be able to uh, have it really established himself as a starter. But that's that's the way they, they got to go. And um, they, they feel like they have all the pieces, all the tools. And they thought that highly, John of Trey Lance to trade a ton of assets to move up to get him a few years ago. Well, now's the time he's got to prove them right. Well, it's been a very interesting offseason, of course, and more moves will be made as we get closer to the draft and then after the draft and we have mini camps and all that kind of stuff. And you're going to want to make sure you're staying on top of all of the moves going around the NFL by checking out Rob Motti's work over at the AP. Follow him on Twitter at Rob Motti. Check out his show, Faith on the Field. Lots of cool stuff going on with Rob and uh, everything he's got going on. Rob, thanks so much for coming on Eye on the Enemy, man. I appreciate it. John, I appreciate your time, man. Now I got to go figure out how the Phillies are going to replace Reese Hoskins. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, that Reese Hoskins news out for the season, uh, pretty pretty upsetting. <laughs> but um, that's a whole different sport, and uh, you can catch uh, some some of my Reese Hoskins comments on my Phillies podcast, Hitting Season, uh, over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, someplace else uh, where you get your podcasts. All right, as for the birds and I on the enemy, that's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. And my thanks to Rob once again for coming on. Folks, don't forget to check out BleedingGreenNation.com each and every day and check out all of the other fantastic podcasts we have for you here on the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed as we keep you stuffed with Eagles news throughout the offseason. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I'll talk to you next week right here on Eye on the Enemy. G-N.